Are you sick and tired of your business computer guy? Does he take forever to call you back and respond to your request? Are you paying him good money to keep things working, but there are still constant problems, slowness, and other recurring issues? Are you worried he's not backing up and securing your network? And does your head hurt from having all these issues to deal with? If this describes you, please be sure to call my good friend Matthew Odom of Heritage Digital at 843-664-8989. Heritage Digital is an IT firm that specializes in safely securing and managing your business IT network. Whether you have one employee or 500, Heritage will make sure that your business isn't bogged down by IT issues impacting your security, productivity, and most importantly, your profits. Heritage Digital will perform a no-cost IT assessment and ask you all the right questions to make sure your IT network works correctly all the time, and it's for one low monthly fee. This is a turnkey solution, folks. And with clients from South Carolina to California, Heritage has you covered. So if you're sick and tired of the constant computer and network issues, call Matthew Odom of Heritage Digital today at 843-664-8989 and get rid of all the issues negatively impacting your business once and all and forever. 843-664-8989, heritagedigital.com. Rock and roll. It's your daily dose of all things Gamecocks on the Inside the Gamecocks podcast. Here's J.C. Sherbert. Inside the Gamecocks podcast, J.C. Sherbert here, Tuesday, March 29th. Good to be with you today. I uh, hope you guys enjoyed the weekend. Gamecock baseball, getting up off the mat again, took two or three from Vandy. Uh, that was a positive thing. Of course, Lamont Paris uh, is the new head basketball coach at Carolina. Lots of stuff to talk about there. Spring football rolls on. High school coaches clinic was a success. Uh, lots, lots of stuff going on. Of stuff going on right now. And uh, I promised you last week we'd be getting back into football, and we definitely are. Thanks to Heritage Digital for the news and notes segment. As always, a uh, key sponsor here on the Inside the Gamecocks podcast. We appreciate Matt and all that they do for us. And certainly, if your internet's running slow and you're tired of everything, uh, IT-wise, give him a call. It's a one-stop shop turnkey solution uh, when you go with Heritage Digital. Uh, all right. so. Mentioned baseball. Um, look, guys, uh, it's weird <laughs> right now because uh, I, I don't think anybody's really happy with the progress of the program. Um, but there's two ways out of it. You know, you, you can either win and turn it around, or you can lose and then you see what happens at the end of the year. Uh, lots of rumors last week about the future of baseball. They turned out to be kind of unfounded i think some people were mixing it up in terms of what happens if they miss the postseason again uh that type of thing so uh you know but look you got to credit the guys for coming back and and winning vanderbilt obviously is one of the best teams in the country year in and year out uh it's always nice to beat them i think uh considering uh tim corbin i don't know if it's a rivalry but Again, it's always nice to take two or three from Bandy, no matter what the situation is. So I think that, uh, you know, kudos to those guys. We'll see what happens. They don't need to be losing any more midweek games. And then, you know, you kind of shoot your shot. And you're sitting at two and four in the SEC right now. Tennessee, by the way, who swept the Gamecocks 
at the beginning of the SEC schedule in, in crazy fashion, uh, swept Ole Miss this past weekend, too. So they're off to a hot start. The Vols, a really good baseball team this year. Uh, John Whittle, I think, said they're probably one of the best teams he's ever seen or he's seen this season, uh, and that includes Texas and Vanderbilt. So maybe that wasn't quite as bad. I think people's contention with that is Tennessee two or three years ago was bottom of the division. Uh, and now look at their rise. That's just one more team that you have to contend with, uh, you know, if you're the Gamecocks. And it gets frustrating when you sit there and talk about, well, how did they pass South Carolina or whatever? I don't know if they pass them as a program. I certainly think this year's team uh, up in Knoxville is special. Um, so we'll see what happens. Uh, Julian Bosnick, John Little had an update, probably still a ways away from coming back. You know, I thought Mark Kingston going young with the lineup gave the team some energy. Uh, and I think that's a good thing. Maybe that's just what they have to do is be young this year uh, and let some of those young guys go and take their lumps. But, um, you know, we'll see what happens moving forward. But a little bit of light at the end of the tunnel for baseball. Basketball, obviously Paris is in. You start hearing uh, about Gamecocks making contact with some guys from the transfer portal. Uh, I'll say this, this weekend at the Final Four in New Orleans, I anticipate uh, uh, some news. You know, maybe not specifics, but I anticipate the staff, uh, Lamont Paris's staff being kind of, uh, you know, uh, how to put this. It, it's going to be a big weekend uh, for the Gamecocks basketball uh, program in terms of interviewing assistant coaches. And, and this is where this stuff takes place. You know, a lot of times head coaching jobs are filled at the final four. I think a lot of schools got to jump on it this year uh, and actually did it beforehand. Um but uh, I anticipate some movement uh, with the, the, the staff. Uh, Frank Martin's group's gone. Uh, with the exception of the strength coach, Greenwald, uh, they're all out. You know, they're going elsewhere. So it, it, it certainly is looking like a clean slate. Six players have entered the transfer portal uh, from South Carolina, including some of the best. Uh, Carter and Woodley, very promising freshmen. They're gone. Cousinard and Stevenson are gone. Mike Green is gone. Wildens Levesque is gone. And I do think there are going to be more. Uh, and, and I think in college basketball, regardless of what you think, um, should Frank Martin have been fired? Oh, my gosh, here we go. Uh, that kind of thing. You know, th this is going to happen. Um, in, in this particular sport, there has been massive attrition even before the free transfer rules were implemented. So this is going to make it even crazier. Uh, I, I do think college basketball is heading toward uh, a situation where you're, you're going to see guys move around every single year. And a big key uh, to any coach's success is going to be how you manage that, uh, how you manage the attrition. Now, Frank Martin lost some players last year, filled it back up, uh, won 18 games. Um, you know, so there's nothing that says – you know, South Carolina basketball is doomed. It's just going to be a new look, and uh, we'll see what happens uh, in terms of targeting players in the portal. Lamont Paris was on the record with the Pittsburgh Tribune Review before the game against Illinois in the NCAA tournament talking about how he was an assistant at Indiana University of Pennsylvania, and they had guys from all walks of life, transfers, junior college guys, freshmen. Uh, and he mentioned that uh, as far as talking about his first year at Chattanooga when they were the youngest team in the country and they lost 20-something games. And he said, I'll never be in that situation again. That style of recruiting we did at IUP 
uh, really appeals to me. And if you look at how he put it together in Chattanooga, they, you know, they work the portal pretty well. So we will see kind of what happens. Uh, I'll tell you this, it's, it's uh, as much as I thought, and I did think this, I, I thought, you know, the, the decision to get rid of Frank Martin was not as easy uh, as maybe people thought. Because uh, when you talk about these guys, Cousinard, Stevenson, Carter, Woodley, all those guys coming back, and then the possibility of adding G.G. Jackson, which Gamecocks aren't completely out of it with G.G. Lamont Paris met with him, and the parents seemed to like it and, and all that. It's going to be an uphill battle now. But, uh, you know, when you look at that, you're like, well, you know, this team got to 500 in the SEC. Uh, they got to 18 wins, 17 if you don't count the D2 game. Uh, you know, logic dictates that there was a pretty good shot if you add some pieces, uh, th th this team would be better and it should have been. Um, and, and so I think that was, you know, regardless of what you think about Frank Martin, the sideline demeanor, which I never have a problem with, uh, all that, you know, th I, I do think there was some question, um, you know, at least from my standpoint and, and should be everybody's standpoint uh, as to whether or not that was the right move. Uh, it was decided, though, that that was definitely the right move. <laughs> uh, it didn't linger. Uh, it happened pretty quick. And now Frank is the head coach at UMass. And congratulations to him, by the way. It's great that uh, he landed on his feet. Uh, I think he's a good person. Uh, I think he's a hell of a coach. Uh, I think UMass fits him perfectly because, you know, that's, that's a program that's been down, uh, hasn't been good in a while, just like Kansas State, just like South Carolina. But I, I think Frank can get the same level of players that he got at South Carolina at UMass. Uh, it's a different league. It's a kind of mid-major league, the A-10. Um, you can out-coach people. You, you can be resourceful in recruiting. Uh, if you notice, a lot of South Carolina's players uh, under Frank Martin came from New Jersey, Pennsylvania, New York, uh, those types of places. And, and UMass is right up the road. Uh, his wife's a UMass grad. He met his wife there. So uh, I think it's, you know, a positive, you know, and, and, and very few South Carolina coaches uh, in any major sport have gone on to, to coach elsewhere in football. The only one, Sparky Woods. Now, you can count the Apollos, I think, for Steve Spurrier. It's not college ball, but it's pro ball. Um, you know, he did coach again. Uh, but football, Sparky Woods took VMI and, you know, I don't know, didn't win very much there. VMI is a very difficult football job. Uh, eventually, uh, you know, you, you kind of look at Darren Horn. Uh, he had to go to Texas to be an assistant under Shaka Smart, ended up getting Northern Kentucky. And, you know, of his three years there, he's done pretty well. You know, some guys are just mid-major coaches, and I, I think that's Darren Horn. Bill Foster uh, took Northwestern, did not do well after he left South Carolina. Uh, but that's about it. Uh, so Frank getting that job pretty quickly, uh, you know, I, I think that kind of dispels the narrative of, hey, you know, it's a coach's graveyard. You know, I, I think that you can sit there and say, ah, it just didn't work out, but it's not like it was career ending uh, for Frank Martin. That's a bad look. It's on South Carolina, uh, to be honest, those of you that are out there. Uh, you know, hating on Frank and, and, and all that. And, and I get it, you know, and, and Frank probably uh, did not feel, in fact, I know he probably didn't feel like he was treated all that fairly um, at the end. Uh, I get it. 
you know, I'm not going to give a strong opinion on that either way, but I understand how he feels. I understand he said he wasn't going to recruit anybody to stay. I get that too. Um, I, uh, you know, I, I don't think he's told anybody to leave. You know, I don't think he'd burn it all down and walk it out the door. That's just not who he is. But, uh, you know, it, it's pretty clear. You know, some of these guys, you know, Jermaine Cousinard, and I'll say this about him, this kid's been through a ton in his life. He's still got stuff going on. Uh, I think he's probably going someplace where he can be close to mom in Chicago. There are a lot of programs in Chicago, DePaul, uh, UIC, Loyola, Notre Dame's right down the road. Uh, Northern Illinois, Illinois State, Illinois, 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 Illinois State, about two hours away. But, uh, you know, plenty of basketball opportunities for him. And, and I think he's a guy that's good enough to where uh, he'll fit right in. Same with Devin Carter. Eric Stevenson looks like he's already at West Virginia to play for Bob Huggins. I think that's a good fit for him. Um, you know, Woodley, Levesque, those guys, we'll, we'll see where they land. But, uh, and then, you know, I don't expect Keyshawn Bryant to be back. I don't expect, uh, you know, I think there's some question about Josh Gray because he has to sit wherever he goes. But, you know, there's kind of rumblings that he won't be back. And that's a shame because I like that guy. I think he's got a uh, what's called upside. <laughs> uh, so Lamont Paris is going to have a whole new look team. You know, probably Chico Carter will be back. Uh, I think that's uh, maybe one of those things that's a little understated. Chico didn't play a lot because I think of it, it has to be because of his defense because every time he played, he scored. I mean, he was a pretty good scorer when he got the opportunity. Uh, he's home. He doesn't have another transfer, so he's probably back, you know, Jacoby Wright. I don't know what the situation will be with him. Um, but it looks like Lamont Paris is going to have to put together a whole new team. And that's fun in a way. It's fun to kind of track it you know, and see who they got. I mean, you know, if you if you, uh, always talk about the program being stuck, you know, and it needing to get unstuck, and uh, you get a whole new team, that's uh, it's unstuck, unstuck. So uh, there you go with that. That's basketball, basketball, baseball. By the way, congratulations to Dawn Staley and uh, the women back to the final four. I think it's their fourth final four, 2015, 2017, 2021 and now 2022, probably a safe bet they would have made it in 2020. I, I think they'd have won the whole thing, to be honest. But, uh, you know, so fourth Final Four, and then you had probably a fifth. That That's getting somewhere, folks, in that sport. And, uh, you know, it, that program's to the point where if you don't win the national championship, I think it's disappointing. So we'll see what happens there. I, I, I thought the girls played a lot better uh north carolina and then creighton than they did uh against howard and miami especially on offense so we'll see what happens there minneapolis the gamecocks will play louisville and then the other side of the bracket yukon and stanford i'm kind of pulling for a yukon south carolina final uh because they've never met in the championship and i think uh it says something uh if you can go beat yukon in a championship game i think gino oriama is undefeated in the championship, he's taken 10 losses, if I'm not mistaken, in the semis. But uh, undefeated in the championship game, the Gamecocks beat them earlier this year. So that, that to me, would be a blockbuster. Of course, there is the Stanford angle that uh, – and then they played earlier this year too that, uh, you know, that was the team that knocked the Gamecocks out last season uh, and the defending national champs. So 
we'll see what happens there. All right, football, as we move into the analysis segment of our podcast here, I want to tell you about Cindy Searfoss. Cindy Searfoss, Cindy Searfoss, Caldwell Banker Kane Real Estate. Married to a diehard Gamecock fan, she's been in the upstate of South Carolina for more than 35 years and would love to help you with any of your real estate needs. You can contact Cindy, 864-414-5271 or CSEARFOSS, that's C-S-E-A-R-F-O-S-S at C-B-C-A-I-N-E C-B-C-A-I-N-E dot com. Right there in my hometown of Spartanburg, Sparkle City, Daniel Morgan Avenue. That's where she's at. Uh, again, 864-414-5271. All kinds of talk about the real estate market lately. Uh, it touches everybody. I had a friend uh, sell his house in the upstate recently. Only been in it two years. I think he's uh, clearing about 120 uh, off of it. Didn't have a ton of equity built up. It wasn't one of those guys that paid an extra payment or anything like that. So uh, check her out. She can get you the best price if you're looking to buy uh, she can certainly find you a property. Cindy Searfoss, Caldwell Baker Kane, tell her JC sent you. Proud sponsor of the Inside the Gamecocks podcast. All right. So caught up on some football stuff. Uh, you know, with all the turmoil with basketball and the coaching change and then the search itself, which was, I mean, my opinion known about that. No reason to continue to, to bash it. But, uh, you know, it is what it is. Uh, I think Lamont Paris, uh, just from judging some of you, uh, you know, in your reaction to his press conference, I, I thought he nailed the press conference, you know, just looking at y'all's reaction. Now, to me, you know, I, maybe I'm more of a rah-rah, dramatic kind of guy. <laughs> uh, so I, I'm not going to say I was underwhelmed. I, I just – I'm going to say it was a unique opening press conference and very genuine and honest. Uh, and I respect that. You know, I respect that. Uh, he didn't get up there and talk about like Lou Holtz. You know, our goal is to win the national championship. I mean, he didn't didn't really make a whole lot of proclamations, which is fine. Because uh, if you think about football and the, and the searches and the opening press conferences, it, it went from Lou Holtz saying our goal is to win the uh, the national championship. Steve Spreer comes in and says our goal is to win the game in Atlanta. And Will Muschamp came in and said our goal is to win the SEC East and uh, Beamer just kind of said, Hey, we're, we're gonna we're gonna create a program that has the best culture in college football. Uh, so so it's kind of diminished a little bit. I don't think Frank Martin was talked about going to the final four either when he came in, but uh certainly Frank Martin is, is his own unique press conference. Uh, and we all enjoyed those regardless of the wins and losses. So Lamont Paris, different guy. Uh, I can appreciate the historical aspect of his hiring. I, I have great respect for that. Um, and away we go, like I said, a whole new team there. But with all the turmoil with the with the search and then baseball doing what baseball's done and the frustration there, uh, football's just kind of been on autopilot, I think, with this fan base uh, and spring practice. So that's kind of surprising. Um, but, you know, there hasn't been a whole lot of negativity coming out of uh, spring ball in terms of, well, this guy's not stepping up, that guy's not stepping up, well, there's concern, whatever. You know, everything you've heard about Spencer Rattler, we had a piece on the bigspur.com today with some inside info on his ability. Let's just say things are going pretty well there. <laughs> um, Marshawn Lloyd uh, at running back has really stepped up. They love Juice Wells at receiver. Uh, of course, you got Jaheim Bell, Austin Stogner at tight end. The, the line 
you know, look, it, it, you sit there and you talk about the offensive line. They struggled a lot last year. I'm still convinced early on, at least, they were confused. Uh, but it's not like they didn't have a good game. You know, the, the, the Florida game, pretty good game. The bowl game, pretty good game for them. Auburn, pretty good game for the O-line. So uh, there's hope and because there's everybody, everybody's back. I mean, there's nobody, nobody missing from the offensive line unless somebody hits the portal, you know, over the summer or after spring. But, you know, very uh, encouraged by uh, Tyshawn Wanamaker and Vershawn Lee who kind of got inserted into the lineup last year, younger guys on the O-line that I think, you know, played pretty well for the most part, especially considering Wanamaker was at a right tackle. That may not be his best spot. Uh, Jalen Nichols, to me, too, toward the end of the year, stepped up. They moved him to tackle. Uh, struggled at guard, obviously. But, you know, sometimes you mix and match. Greg Atkins more familiar with the personnel this year. They're more familiar with the system. There's really no reason with everybody back. They can't take a step forward. Um, and so we'll see what happens there. Uh, you know, and, and I like, too, you know, Spencer Rattler's mobility in the pocket. I, I thought that, you know, one of the reasons Jason Brown had success when he was inserted in the lineup was he did give you some semblance of a passing game on scramble drills and uh, things like that. When he got flushed out, kept his eyes downfield, found the open receiver, whereas the other two, you know, Doty was a step slow because of his foot, uh, and then Zeb Nolan obviously was not that mobile. Uh, I love that Karen Joyner did that too in the bowl game when he was at quarterback, and, and that's needed because, look, man, let's be honest. In the Southeastern Conference, you are going to face the best defensive lines in the country week in and week out, and that's not even to mention – Clemson <laughs> has a bunch of great players coming back on the D-line. So that's nine games on your schedule where you're facing the best of the best on the, on the D-line. It's unrealistic to sit there and think your offensive line is going to be this freaking brick wall. I mean, it just, it just doesn't happen. It doesn't happen in Alabama. Uh, it doesn't happen in Georgia. It doesn't happen anywhere. Texas A&M, where you pick your school. Um, you know, they have good offensive lines in those places. But, you know, even some days, you know, I mean, look at the Carolina-Georgia game in 2019. Uh, how much of a difference did Ken Law and, and all those guys make in that football game against a Georgia offensive line that was littered with NFL players? I mean, that, that, that kept Carolina in it and allowed them to win and pull a massive upset. So you, you just never know in this league, um, you know, and, and what you want to have is a chance and, uh, you know, to where – when things break down on your offense, you've got a quarterback that can move and keep his eyes downfield and complete passes or run. And, you know, you, you also have to keep defenses honest. And one thing I, I like philosophically about Marcus Satterfield as an OC uh, is he does like to throw it downfield. And uh, so uh, the question becomes how realistic was it for the Gamecocks to be able to do that consistently last year? I don't know. Probably not a lot. I mean, you know, uh, think about the difference in the bowl game, that play, that the, the two plays Jaheim Bell scored on uh, early on. They've run those before. One almost got – I think one get, did get picked up at East Carolina. I mean, it, it. you know, those types of plays, when you have a better situation at quarterback and uh, people more familiar with the scheme and system, those kind of plays come out. Those kind of plays come out. Amari and Brown, you know, that kind of thing. 
Uh, so I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing how it all comes together. I, I think that uh, obviously there's more weapons on the offense this year uh, for the Gamecocks. Um, and that kind of brings me to the defense. And I'm going to talk a little bit about this. Uh, you know, I listened to Torian Gray talk uh, in this press conference the other day, took some notes here. It's going to be interesting. Uh, the first thing he said that, that stood out was that uh, Nick Emanuare is a defensive back. Uh, I think, you know, some people may want him at linebacker or whatever, but he's a deep back. He's going to be a nickel corner or whatever. Uh, you know, I, and I think that, you know, when you look at him, it's probably not realistic to sit here and say, oh, he's going to step in and be in the two deep. He could be because he's a freak, uh, but maybe not. Um, will he be a safety or corner? I don't know. Uh, you know, but he's a DB, uh, Torian Gray mentioned that, you know, and I think Keenan Nelson Jr., Emory Floyd, K1 Banks, some, some of the guys out of that group, uh, I, I think will, you know, and I'm looking at Banks at nickel. Uh, he's not the biggest guy, but he's that quintessential in the box. I'll stick you, but I'll also cover you kind of guy. Uh, and they like him at the nickel, you know, so we'll look there. Uh, with David Spalding being out for the spring, Cam Smith's been working at nickel, and this allows them to get their best five out there, though, because you got Dial and Rush at corner, Cam Smith working at nickel, and then the two safeties, RJ Roderick and Devonnie Reed, the transfer from Central Michigan. And that brings me to this safety yet again. Here we go, like a broken record. Ah, it drives me crazy. Now I think this is going to be a thing of the past, uh, in short order, given the numbers that they've. Uh, accumulated uh, with the younger players uh, at safety. Peyton Williams is back there and, and learning right now. And uh, Anthony Rose, they, they flipped him over to corner, but he's going to be a guy that's cross-trained as far as the freshmen go. But uh, depth is an issue at safety. So you got Tyrese Ross, who didn't play a whole lot last year, came in from Washington State. Uh, they like his physicality. Now, Roderick, Reed, and Ross, the three R's there, they're all physical players. Coverage, you know, the, that's a question uh, with some of these guys. Uh, you know, after that, though, man, King Ford, walk on. B.J. Gibson, walk on transfer from Navy, who's actually 6'4", and a, a pretty good-looking athlete. Uh, Joseph Burns from over there in Camden, uh, and then Peyton Williams. So, you know, where will Rose end up? Uh, who out of Floyd Nelson and Minore could step in at safety? You know, that that's a question. I mean, those are that position again cannot afford injuries. Uh, it's a question mark. Jalen Foster stepped up, played well last year. You know, I, I my hope is, and I think everybody's hope should be that, you know, just like Foster saved his best for last, uh, RJ Roderick does the same. And, and I really like Devontae Reed. I think that guy is a baller. And his approach is very uh, professional. You know, uh, he likes football, loves football. Uh, and sometimes that's half the battle is if you love the sport. <laughs> Some guys don't. Some guys don't love football. So uh, that's the thing there. But uh, I'm pretty, you know, pretty confident about the situation at corner. You got Rush, Smith, Dial. Uh, they all played a lot. Isaiah Norris is a player that I think could step into that fourth spot. Uh, but Nickel. You know, behind Spalding or that, I mean, if you cross train, that's fine too. I mean, you you can have, you can structure it any way you want to get your best players on the field. 
But man, oh man, they, they can't afford injuries at safety right now uh, at all. Uh, but I, I, you know, Keenan Nelson's a player, a recruit. When, when Carolina got him, you know, it, it was a big deal. Uh, he was kind of a, he was a top 100 player at the time, and he dropped. I don't some questions about his speed, but I watched his film from his senior year up in Philly, and the, I didn't think he was slow at all. I mean, I, I thought he, he was quick, good ball instincts, physical player. Uh, he may be one that we don't talk about enough. You know, I, in my opinion, and and I think that that guy could step in and and do some things. He's a bigger physical kid. Uh, I think he's good in coverage, that kind of thing. You know, we'll see Peyton Williams and Anthony Rose grow uh, during spring ball, and, and so we'll see that there. Uh, but I, I look at it, and, and in a general point, you know, none of us, none of us always, none of us like to talk about depth, right? And at South Carolina, you know, you, you want to talk about some of the differences between football programs in the SEC. Depth has always been an issue. Uh, I talked to somebody on the Spurrier staff uh, a while back when Muschamp was the coach, and he said, you know, that's one thing Spurrier did was because he's like, because our top 33 can compete with anybody. But once you get behind that, you know, you're in trouble. And if you think about some of the depth on some of those teams, I mean, you have a situation one year at quarterback in 09, if Steven Garcia had gotten hurt, I have no idea what they were going to do. You know, I mean, there was that little depth at that very important position. You know, you think about some of the backups at uh, defensive line and, and corner and linebacker over the years. And, you know, there was a significant drop-off, you know, and, and, and when and injuries are inevitable – uh, you you always hope to not have as many injuries as you did under Muschamp, uh, and I, I think that's probably a thing of the past. But there's still injuries, and uh, you know, and I look at this roster, and I, and I think it's it's in, it's in better shape than from a depth standpoint than you know maybe even some of those Spurrier teams, in my opinion, just because there's some options there, but it's still. It, it, you know, that's the part that I, I think Shane Beamer and his staff, when you talk about a build, you know, they were left with players, right? Not at every position. Safety, obviously, <laughs> is still a question mark. I think wide receiver certainly uh, would be uh, still, although they've added some pieces to kind of fix that and gotten some guys better. We'll talk about that in a second. But, you know, that's that's the key. Keep building depth, and and I think that with the work in the portal, and then you know this freshman class coming in, the twenty twenty two class, there are a lot of guys that that I think you know at certain positions early on can provide depth, and then certainly next year. I saw a nice clip, for example, of Donovan Westmoreland blowing up Christian Bill Smith in practice. Uh, that's one clip, and you don't know if Bill Smith got off balance or whatever, but. You know, there's a guy that's fast that's, you know, kind of looks like he's making things happen. Um, and, you know, he's probably a special teams guy. But next year, he probably could be in the two deep at linebacker, you know, for example. So you keep stacking it, keep recruiting, always keep recruiting uh, and that kind of thing. Uh, I'm much more worried about depth on defense than offense. There are some positions where I think depth's good. I think linebacker, for example, is – Worried as people are about that spot, and as tough as it was, tough sledding last year, I think they got some guys uh, that can step in and provide depth. Uh, edge, no, not so much. You know, you got Birch and you got Strong, and then after that, 
Terrell Dawkins can certainly help, uh, you know, coming in from NC State as a transfer, and then Gilbert Edmond maybe, Tyreek Johnson maybe. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a question mark, you know, and, and that's, that's one of the things in the portal. I mean, if, if let's say they get Corey Rucker, and he's a wide receiver, obviously, uh, from Arkansas State, and I think it looks good that they will. Uh, he's down to Utah State in South Carolina, uh, Ogden, Utah. It looks like he he visited there and, and had a great time skiing and all that. But I, you know, I would be surprised if he if he chose to go to Utah State over the Gamecocks. But Corey Rucker, uh, you add him, uh, that's good. But then you still have one more spot. So, do you try to get a safety? Do you try to go get an edge? My 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 opinion is this: bet probably what they should do is identify their, you know, the needs. And I'm sure they will. I mean, these guys are extremely organized and recruiting, very organized. And if there's something available, that's an opportunity, you go, go from there. If you can get an edge, if you can get a Jordan strong type transfer. uh, If you can get a guy that can provide depth, uh, if you can get a safety that can provide depth or, or are you comfortable with Keenan Nelson and Anthony Rose and those guys as freshmen being your backups? Uh, you, you know, I, I would probably lean more towards edge uh, just because you rotate those guys more often and you can mix. I mean, th- the staff has proven they can mix and match in the secondary with uh, with some success. Uh, you know, edge is a different story. You have to get a pass rush. Plenty of depth at D-tackle, by the way. Uh, on, on D-tackle, linebacker, I like the situation at corner right now, uh, four deep there. Uh, but then there's other spots with no depth. On, on offense, tight end actually would be the leanest position, <laughs> in my opinion, because uh, you've got basically Austin Stogner coming in. Jaheim Bell's more not a tight end. Uh, he's uh, They called him a wide back, uh, which is what they called Debo Samuel with the 49ers. Uh, and so then you got Trey Kenyon and uh, – and, uh, and, uh, uh, you know, <laughs> walk-ons. Um, now, I, I think you can use Trey Jones over there some. I think I think there's, you know, a lot of different uh, ideas uh, at, at tight end when, you know, different formations. And uh, you can kind of figure that out, you know. But uh, if a big-time tight end comes along, would they take I don't know. If they use him as the last portal guy. Maybe they get somebody in. They can count towards 2023. Who knows? Uh, but tight end's the thinnest spot. You know, I still think, they, you know, more offensive tackle types on the offensive line. That's kind of a matter of opinion. Um, I, I do believe they need more tackle types, but I, I just don't know that it's as dire as other spots. You know, quarterback with, with Doty battling for the backup spot, Colton Gauthier, you still got to carry and joiner, and that's an option. Uh, if something goes happens with Rattler, you know, then Braden Davis and Tanner Bailey. I mean, I, I think depth at quarterback's a much better spot than it was. Um, running back's fine. You know, and wide receiver, you add Corey Rucker. Uh, I think adding Rucker would alleviate a lot of my concerns. And and, and here's another reason why. Because you, you put Rucker in there, you got you had Rucker, Wells, you got Van, you got Bell. Uh, Xavier Leggett is at an outstanding spring not just a good spring, an outstanding spring. You know, he's been hurt uh, for so long and, and setback after setback, but, you know, nobody ever questioned his speed, his size, hands. You know, he made several tough catches this past year, clutch, including one against Mandy just off the bench. Uh, confidence booster there 
for him. And, and he's, this is really the first time he's been able to go through the whole off season for the spring and the winter program and all that. He's just going to get better and better. Uh, Amarian Brown's improved. EJ Jenkins is still there rocking and rolling. Maybe he's a tight end guy that comes, you know, maybe they move him back. I don't know. I don't know what's happening with Eric Shaw right now. Uh, and then you're bringing in Landon Sampson, who is high floor guy who should be able to step in and play. Uh, so Justin Stepp's group really, you know, when you talk about depth there, they have worked it and improved that spot, especially if they get Rucker. So I'm less concerned about that. And so really across the offense, you know, I, I don't think it's oh, there's any planet where, you know, Spencer Rattler does not need to stay healthy. <laughs> uh, that would be very unfortunate. Uh, I'm not speaking that into existence. Obviously, I hope he remains healthy and all that. Uh, you know, I, I think that Lloyd and Bill Smith make a nice one-two cut at running back. You got Juju McDowell, Rashad Amos still there. They're specialty guys. And then the young guy, Lavoisier Carroll, uh, who will only get better and better. You know, so offensively, the depth is there. I mean, you got depth on the offensive line. I mean, with the exception of tight end. So, you know, I think that last spot, uh, assuming they get Rucker, who they need, you know, they, they still need Rucker, um, that receiver. Uh, I think, uh, you know, the, the last spot that they could probably use in the portal. And, again, you can always get somebody in in August to count them towards 2023. Uh, my guess is edge or safety if they can find one. Now, you don't just go sign guys to sign guys and they can't play dead in the movie. Uh, but you go and you get that. I think safety or edge would be a, a realistic look, uh, provided there is somebody in the portal that they think can help them. Uh, if you're hearing clicking noise, I don't know why Red decides to march up and down the hardwood floors while I'm recording. Uh, but I guess maybe the sound of my voice, I don't know. But I apologize for that because that's annoying. I know. <laughs> Red, go lay down, buddy. So uh, anyway, that's uh, that, that's the take on that. You know, just digging back into football. Uh, you know, I I think that, and I can't even believe I'm saying this. If if you want a spot of concern, a pressure point on the roster, right now I'd have to say it's safety again. Fifth, sixth straight year I've said it right. <laughs> safety. So uh, you know, we'll see. We'll see. Now, now I'll say this about some of these wall folks. The King Ford, Joseph Burns, B.J. Gibson, the, they like those guys. I mean, those guys, you know, Jalen Foster was a walk-on. So, you know, I'm not counting those guys out. I'm just saying that, you know, the depth back there is good. I, I You know, I, I have high hopes for Roderick in his last year. He's an older guy. Uh, it's kind of an hour-and-ever thing. And then I love Devontae Reed. Uh, Tyrese Ross, obviously a very physical guy. We didn't get to see him play a whole lot this past year, but uh, he's an experienced player, uh, you know, and, and Peyton Williams right now is at safety, kind of swimming, and uh, Anthony Rose just got moved to corner, but you can always move him back, uh, it, you know, and I, and I think Rose obviously it's pretty clear he has a bright future uh, at South Carolina. And then, you know, the honestly, the, the, the secondary is in good hands. I mean, we, we all sat here and we're scared to death about what the secondary would do this past season, but they held up pretty good. And, and you know, now they led the SEC in passing yardage allowed, but as Torian Gray pointed out, a lot of that was because they were so bad against the run. You know, teams didn't have to throw them. That Clemson game, DJ, their quarterback, I won't butcher his name for you, uh, he threw for 99 yards. You know, Clemson to 99 yards passing, 
I would have thought, well, Gamecocks have a pretty good shot, but they just got gashed. Uh, and that was the case in a lot of these games this year. Uh, and, and then the secondary has to improve against the run as well. You know, Foster was pretty good. Others, not so much. Uh, I did think the tackling on the perimeter, which has been an issue, was better this past year, though. So, you know, there's a shot. Cam Smith, uh, a physical player. You know, Darius Rush will come up and tackle. Marcellus Dow will come up and tackle. So, uh, and I'm pretty sure Norris will, too. So, not a bad deal there, uh, I think, on the perimeter. But uh, certainly, you know, when you talk about the Gamecock defense, number one priority, and everybody knows this from Clayton White to Shane Beamer to Torian Gray to everybody involved, the whole entire organization, if you will, they have to get better at stopping the run. Um, and that's linebackers, that's interior D-line, that's DNs, it's everybody, uh, secondary everybody. Um, and, and if there's a spot where I would be concerned about Foster's absence, it's probably, you know, not so much the interceptions and, and the pass defense as it is the, the run D. Uh, and I think that's got to improve. David Spalding, when he gets back, has to improve. Uh, against the run because I, I I think he was serviceable. I thought Platel, Carlos Patel, who's gone now, was better against the run. Uh, so he's got to step up too. So lots of talk about the secondary. I, you know, I, I think that, you know, again, because of all the turmoil and, 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 and roller coaster ride with the basketball search and baseball and lots of complaining, talk about the board of trustees. Uh, I think that, um, you know, maybe football got lost and people are just like, oh, yeah, Rattler's doing well. Football's going to be great, you know. And, and, and look, I, I, they have a shot at having a very good season, in my opinion. But um, I also think that, uh, you know, there, is some, there are some pressure points on the roster where they have to stay healthy. Uh, and there are some pieces that they could add uh, that I think would help. Um, and so we'll see what happens. Can't wait for the spring game coming up here in 18 days. Uh, going to be great to see Rattler throw the ball, these new receivers, uh, see what they look on offense. I mean, I, I think that, you know, spring game, you're always like, well, the offense did really well, and the, but is the, is the defense that bad? And keep in mind about the defense, too. Last year, uh, when they actually played a game, I think it was about a half of football, offense went up and down the field, but defense is playing base, you know, and we know that Clayton White's defense is not – you know, just line up in base and see what we can do. Um, so I, I, I think that if you're looking for something, you know, you won't uh, in the spring game here in 18 days, you're, you're looking for Rattler to connect with the receivers and in a more crisp passing game uh, than maybe there was last spring game. How about that? Does that make sense? Because uh, I, I didn't even think the play – I thought the play calling in the spring game last year as vanilla as it was, there, there was some – creativity, bell at fullback, that kind of thing. So, you know, we'll, we'll definitely definitely see what happens uh, in the spring game. Hopefully there won't be, you know, 25 players injured and out like there were last year. I'm sure there will be some that sit it out, but not, not everybody. So we'll see um, uh, what happens. Night game should be a great weekend uh, for the Gamecocks. Um, you know, in terms of, in, in terms of all that, you know, recruiting wise, uh, I mentioned Corey Rucker, the graduate or the portal transfer from Arkansas State. Uh, things are looking good with him. Uh, there's two 2023 high school players that have, we've had welcome homes for. We haven't haven't public yet. 
don't really have a time frame. The first one was supposed to be mid-February. He's kind of held off, but they still feel good about getting him. And then the other one I, I've never really gotten a time frame for. So uh, we'll see sort of what happened. And then the third one, I, I have a strong suspicion it was Rucker. But, you know, things have kind of – I mean, I don't know. Haven't gotten conf- conf- the real confirmation on that yet. So – uh, we'll see what happens. Mentioned the board of trustees. Didn't want to talk about this again. Um, mentioned last week, I strongly believe South Carolina athletics needs to move more towards a model like Florida and Georgia, where they have an independent athletic association and an AD that reports directly to the president and only the president of the university. Uh, and, and they enjoy some autonomy with a board specific for athletics. Uh, the athletic association board like Florida and Georgia have. Uh, I, I think those two schools, you know, and look, uh, a lot of people get process confused with outcome. And it's not that Florida and Georgia have not had what we call interesting coaching searches over the years. Uh, it's not that they always go get their guy. Uh, I told everybody on the message board, uh, the savior coach AD complex we have around here, that, that's in the past. Uh, Mike McGee, that era is over. I mean, it, and it's never coming back. It's not to say South Carolina won't ever hire a coach that's been very successful at a at a big school uh, again, but that's just not realistically how things go around the SEC uh, at any school, really. Um, you know, for every Nick Saban hire in in football, there's you know, a, a guy like Hugh Freeze who came from our, I mean, seems like they like to hire guys from Arkansas. Everybody hires guys from Arkansas State, you know. Uh, think about that. Hugh Freeze, Gus Malzahn, uh, Brian Harson came from Boise. You know, there, there's not a lot of uh, – now, there's more than there used to be with Jimbo Fisher, Brian Kelly, those guys coming to the league. But uh, that's just not normally how it works. And there's not always a Hall of Famer sitting out there that's retired or, or doesn't have a job, as is the case – uh, with Mike McGee. Now, basketball, you know, Lamont Paris is only the third Ben major they've hired since McGuire. Amazingly, as bad as it's been, you know, just about everybody's been able to go uh, get a sitting coach from elsewhere, intrigued by the job. You know, the good news is that the, the last two mid-majors were so bad that, you know, and, and you look around and you see, you know, mid-major hires at various schools or whatever, and you look at it, and it's like, well, you know, about every third one pans out. Or, you know, some schools, two out of three. You know, sometimes you got to go through some guys. You know, I mean, if you'd have told me that Anthony Grant was not going to be successful at Bama and get fired, uh, I'd have said, well, I, I don't know about that. And then Avery Johnson with his recruiting that he did, didn't make it, got fired. And then they hired this guy, Nate Oates, from Buffalo, and, and all of a sudden they're – signing five stars and going to the tournament. So, I mean, it, it's, it, it is truly a crapshoot. Um, but, you know, that's what, that's what I'm saying. I mean, you know, if, you, if you're expecting, you know, Ray Tanner to retire or, or, or whatever, you know, in the, in the next six months and for Tom Jurich to come in here and save the athletics program, you have another thing coming. Uh, not that Tom Jurich would not be a hell of a hire. Uh, but, uh, y- y- you know, it, it, there's a lot of issues uh, with the process around here. Um, and, you know, the outcomes, I'll hang that on Ray Tanner. 
you know, he's responsible for hiring. Uh, it's not the board of trustees. Um, I will hang that on him. You know, he's responsible for making good hires uh, and he's not made, uh, you know, he's had to fire Muschamp, had to fire, you know, Holbrook, I don't count either, but uh, Holbrook didn't work out. Kingston's not, I don't think you can say even after this weekend, Kingston's working out overall. Uh, you know, Shane Beamer, good hire so far. And uh, I think that'll continue. And we'll see about Lamont Paris, but certainly I don't think anybody can say that the, the search went swimmingly and that there wasn't bad PR. Now, uh, I will say this, I Tanner in the athletics department won kind of won the day with the press conference. I think, I think sometimes, you know, it's good to be kind of lighthearted and let things roll off your back. And Ray does that. And then uh, I thought the, the, the tweet from Hall's chop house was pretty funny, <laughs> you know, um, sometimes you need to do that to kind of lighten the mood. And, and so good job there, in my opinion, and everybody kind of settled down, but uh you know, back to the board of trustees, you know, I, I, I just don't think, and again, I'll use the analogy with the military, you know, you can't run the department of defense, which is part of the executive branch and, and have to go through the, go before the United States Congress and all hundred and whatever people and uh, get approval for, to buy every time you buy a tank or every time you buy ammo or every time you build something. I mean, you, you just, you can't do that. There's certainly some things, uh, with an independent university athletic association, you do work with the university. on. I'm not saying you never have to work with them or whatever, but, you know, right now, uh, you know, you, you basically have 21 bosses, no matter who the AD is. I just want to say Tom Jurich comes in. Is he going to work under those conditions? That guy? No. I mean, it's 20, 21 bosses. Uh, I, I think that Dick Harputlian uh, is uh, on the right path as far as introducing a bill to restructure it, I am very, very concerned from an athletic standpoint with his involvement. Uh, I, and it's not just because he's a Clemson guy. I just, uh, you know, I, I, my concern, you know, and look, the academic end of the university is my concern as well because it's, it's my school, you know, and I, Graduated from a branch campus, which is conform, you know, and I didn't go to Carolina. I just graduated from upstate. Um, they're controlled by the board of trustees as well, you know. So there's, you know, reasons for me to to want the the school to thrive academically. Uh, so my concern is this: that there are certain factions of the board of trustees that I don't think are necessarily athletics friendly. And they don't really understand and have a concept of the money. I mean, this is a Southeastern conference. You know, you're spending money in athletics constantly uh, to compete. And if you don't want to do that, you know, call up the ACC and say, hey, you know, we give up. Let's go back to the, the ACC, you know, and the AAC, see where recruiting and football goes then. Um, you may win more. But, uh, you know, th this program has been in the Southeastern Conference for 30 years, uh, which is almost, you know, that, that's quite longer th than they were in the ACC for 20 years, you know. But call the ACC. Hell, call up the Sun Belt if you don't want to spend the money. De-emphasize athletics. Boy, that'll go over well, won't it?
all you folks out there, you know, let's de-emphasize it. But there's there's part of the, that group that probably doesn't want to spend a penny. They do because that they know that there, there'd be so much backlash. It wouldn't be funny. Then there's part of them that are big fans that, that want to give their opinion. And when they're not unified behind something, they, you know, all give their different opinion, you know. And I, I was critical of Charles Williams voting against the Lamont Paris contract because of the buyouts. I, I just, look. Buyouts are a fact of life uh, in the Southeastern Conference. Now, uh, I'll say this, you know, being critical of Tanner over the Muschamp buyout, uh, adding that extra year, yeah, that, that, that's, that's all on Ray, you know, all on Tanner. Um, but he's not the only AD that's ever had to pay a buyout, you know, Frank Martin as well. You know, the buyouts are a fact of life. If they have to buy out Mark Kingston, which April 1st, that thing drops a little bit, I think to 1.6. Uh, that's fact of life. You know, you, 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 you can't wait around on a buyout if a change needs to be made because you're going to get left behind. If it's clear it's not working out, you're going to be left behind. And so, so I thought that, you know, while, you know, Charles Williams is, is, is a I, – I, I like some of the things he said. You know, and I, and I like the fact that he's got guts and, and, and says things. You know, he's a board of trustees member, for those of you that don't know. Uh, I think it's like the Barnwell, Barnwell or Calhoun County, not Barnwell, Calhoun County in that area of the state uh, is, is where he represents. Um, I, I thought it was wildly inappropriate and tone deaf and clueless to vote against the contract to, to try to make your little, I mean, your point about buyouts. That's just ridiculous. You know, and Lamont Paris did not have an egregious buyout. Uh, the most it's ever going to be is $6 million, and that's if they fire him tomorrow. I mean, that's not a crazy buyout, right? 65% of the contract, pretty standard contract for Lamont, too. You know, people talk about, oh, you overpaid. I don't know. I don't know about that. You know, now, that's a big salary. That's probably the biggest starting salary, I think, we've had around here uh, to, to, for whom much is given much is expected, right? 2.2 million, but um, Hey, that's kind of the market rate these days, especially in this league. Uh, and it'll be even more if he wins, you know, you know, you have to pay it out. And, and I tell people a lot, it's not your money, you know, your money that you give. And, and that's, that's not universal, universally applicable to all of you out there. I hope. Uh, but, you know, Gamecock Club members, Gamecock Club stuff goes to fund scholarships uh, and all that. It goes to take care of the players, the student athletes. It's not necessarily uh, the buyout money. And, and some of that buyout money for Muschamp was privately donated. Uh, some of it, you know, TV money. You know, you know, the Gamecocks athletic department creates its own revenue and actually gives money back to the academic end, uh, you know, Yet another reason, I think, for an athletics association because, you know, I just I just thought it was embarrassing. You know, you, you have one guy that votes against it, and you're like, why? Uh, and then it, it's because of something that's very uh, – it's unrelated. You know, and, and, and if you're expecting there to be a lesser buyout on Lamont Paris's contract, you have something else coming to you. That's pretty standard. And, and actually, I thought the contract was pretty good uh, and favorable to South Carolina if things don't work out. 
you know, because you're talking about in three years, buyout being $3 million, it's dropping the bucket. It's not a drop in the bucket to me, folks. Not a drop in the bucket to you guys. But when you're talking about the dollar amounts when in college athletics, that that's big money. It's a big money business, and that's uh, that's sort of what happens. Uh, those of you that were upset, I mean, all right. So I'm going to finish up with the, the Harputlian thing. I, I I don't have a problem with the state legislator deciding that this needs to be done. I am very skeptical about the person who is doing it. Just because I, you know, like I said, I, I care about the academic end of the university quite a bit, but athletics are, are my focus, obviously. Uh, and, and I think that, you know, there's a lot of questions as to how that would impact athletics. And so I, you know, I don't know now. And, and I also have this question too. Okay. So you want to restructure it. Are you going to set it up like Clemson's? Because I think everybody involved with Carolina would take that deal tomorrow. And that's Harputlian's undergraduate school went to carolina law school but you know so you can set it up like clemson's great <laughs> let's do that if you did it that way there may not even be a need to break off athletics and have an athletics association uh you know clemson's got a very good setup they always have they enjoy a certain degree of autonomy you know and they kind of you know politics invades everything so I don't know that Clemson has been completely immune to it, but they certainly have been more immune than South Carolina and they protect their school, you know, and their agenda universally is to make Clemson great across the board. And that needs to be the sole agenda of any governing body or oversight body uh, that has to do with the university of South Carolina period. End of discussion. <laughs> So you want to structure that. So as, as people say, the devil's in the details. You just see, oh, he's going to introduce a bill. Well, what, what's in the bill? What, what's the plan? You know, you, you can say restructure all you want. What's the plan? And that would be my question. That's the question you guys should ask. What's the plan? Who is going to be on it? How are they going to be selected? And then, you know, once you get past that, how does it affect athletics? And people are going to scream, oh, athletics aren't everything. Well, look. Athletics are an economic engine driver in the state of South Carolina, Columbia, uh, for the university. It's the front porch of your school. It's the skin, people say. Uh, so, yes, they are important. You know, uh, you know is, is it important in terms of uh, societal impact as a new medical school? No. No, because medical schools, medical research, and things like that, that's life. You know, that, that's, that's a different thing. But it is important. It's not, you know, you're not going to de-emphasize athletics uh, over some other stuff. I'll tell you that right now. Um, but anyway, so that's something I'm going to be monitoring pretty close uh, is the with the Harputlian uh, bill. Again, <laughs> wish it wasn't him doing it. You know, wish it was somebody else. But, uh, you know, we'll see. Because, I, you know, the, the five points thing – you know, I, I've heard he's basically just doing stuff for his neighbors or whatever. I don't agree with it. I, I think five points is five points. I understand it's gotten bad, but I also think that, you know, that that's probably something that the city government, you know, in Columbia should, should take up and not the state government. And, and certainly, you know, I understand the university's position on it. They don't, 
you know, it's a lot of liability when, when students go down there and get in trouble or get, God forbid, hurt, injured, whatever. Um, you know, I get that, but, uh, running businesses out and things like that, I just don't agree with I, you know, you, and the folks that live there, I get it. I mean, there's some nice places around that area. Uh, and I get it, but you chose to live there and, and you know, you knew what was right there. <laughs> you know, I mean, I'm not going to move in next door to a concert venue and then complain uh, when, you know, Slayer or somebody comes and plays and it's all day, you know, that, that, that just wouldn't be how I rolled. I'm not going to try to get the concert venue shut down. Of course, that's probably a bad analogy, but anyway, so we'll see what happens there. All right, time for the mailbag. And I promised I'd get catch, caught up on the mailbag. Not a lot of questions, but just keep sending them. We will, uh, we will continue to do it, continue to do it. And, uh, you guys know that the, uh, Mailbag is always sponsored by iHealth Consulting. So if you're a business owner, you're always looking to save time and money. And that's where iHealth Consulting can help. iHealth's a Gamecock owned and operated company whose only mission is to help businesses save money on expenses. So whether you think you may be paying too much for credit card processing, internet, insurance for your folks, anything else, iHealth can find your business the most savings without sacrificing quality. And remember, if iHealth can't save you any save your business any money. You don't pay them anything. That's right. If I help, can help your business, it's no cost to you. Call or text Daniel Owens at I help 843-372-5713 or visit ihelpconsulting.com to schedule a free consultation. That number again is 843-372-5713. I help consulting. How can I help you? And uh, Daniel, uh, this is how he gets paid. You save X, he gets a percentage first year. That's it. You don't, you know, he's not charging you $30,000 to save 25. So it's literally no risk for you business owners out there. Uh, also want to remind you, uh, I mentioned on the podcast, last podcast, starting a collective for NIL deals for the Gamecocks, Carolina Rise, uh, made some progress on that this past weekend. So we're getting there, probably launching the next 60 to 75 days. Uh, it's going to be very promotionally oriented. In other words, you got to come up with some promotional uh, opportunities for players with, you know, the businesses and media outlets that I own and I'm affiliated with, uh, you know, affiliate businesses. Uh, that's a, that's a very loose definition. Um, so I, I'm I've gotten a tremendous response behind the scenes. So really looking forward to that, but wanted to remind everybody, uh, put that kind of uh, under your hat. We'll have more details coming. Uh, all right. Cartwright, and uh, by the way, there's two ways to get into the mailbag, inside the Gamecocks at gmail.com, which is where I'm at now, and then you can tweet to at the Big Spur Pod. Also, follow us on Instagram at Inside the Gamecocks for other content. Hey, JC, I've been on board with your thinking about the offensive scheme being too much for the O-line. What are your thoughts on the O-line being to blame only for 14 sacks last season? I heard that in the presser and didn't fully buy it. Would love to know what the other sacks and runs for loss were blamed on. Well, it, you know, Cartwright, it's it, what what that's coming from that piece of information, and, and why I kind of, I don't know, why I kind of agree with it is, you know, these guys, you know, I'm not sitting there breaking film down, and, and nobody's qualified to do this except the coaches because they're the ones that know the specific assignments, right? 
So, so in other words, if, if the line does its job and, and then the quarterback doesn't read the hot read or the receiver runs the wrong route, so nobody's there for the QB to throw to, uh, or the running back hits the wrong hole. I mean, those are all things that cause those issues to happen. Quarterback holding on the ball too long, uh, that kind of thing. Um, and, and so, you know, and sometimes maybe a tight end misses a block or a running back misses a block, and that's not on the O-line either. So, look, um, they know that. The coaches know that. Nobody else does. You know, so I can I can sit here and tell you all you want about the O line and 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 how bad they are and all that, but that's that's just and we all sit there and see it and we're like, oh, line needs to block, you know, and and that's fine. I mean, that, you know, when you're watching football, that's kind of, you know, when you're getting sacked all the time, it's kind of how it is. Uh, but th- those guys are the ones that know the assignments and all that. Now. Are those assignments too complex for the non-offensive linemen? And did, did that go play into it? Yeah, probably. Uh, probably. But, uh, you know, and, and the O-line doesn't get a push a lot or didn't get a push in the run game sometimes, you know, that kind of thing. But, I, uh, you know, I, 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 I believe that number just because, look, I'm not – I don't – I can't sit there, even if I could sit there and say – well, this looks like a missed assignment or what? I don't know that for sure because I don't, you know, I don't have the playbook uh, in the assignments. And even if I did, I probably wouldn't talk about it, you know, and, and no, I don't have the playbook secretly. You know, I would never, that's not just, it's not something I'd be interested in, you know, but, uh, you know, even if I had that, I don't know the assignments and all that. I don't think I'd even talk about it. So that's, I, you know, I believe that number, based on their grading of the film, you know, now whether or not that's, I don't know, spin, I, I, I don't know. Uh, but I do believe that number. And I believe that's factual because I, I just don't, I wouldn't see the point in saying it uh, unless that were how the film grade checked out. Now, you know, do I always buy some of these film grades? No. PFF, that kind of thing? No. I, at PFF sometimes I'm like, what in the hell are you looking at? You know, I have no idea. Um, but that's more of a matter of opinion, in my opinion now. And I wouldn't, you know, with the coaches at South Carolina, only they really know the assignments. And so I'm, I'm going to have to defer to them on that. Great question, though, Cartwright. Great question. We'll see. Sean, I am sold on Paris. Lamont Paris looked poised and authentic in his opening presser. Seems like a guy is ready to work. I like how he emphasized in-state recruiting in the portal and will go after the big dogs. Hopefully this means he will integrate himself with AAU coaches and and influencers around here and get the pulse that carries the game in college basketball. On that note, could you explain the difference in the way you recruit elite football player versus basketball players? Is that much difference? Yes. Um, Now, and here's why, and just like anything in life, it gets back to money. (laughs) Uh, And that's why some of these football NIL $8 million for a quarterback deals are just baffling to me. In basketball, your your best of your best are are sort of more known. I mean, the five stars in basketball, there are some that don't pan out, but then there's a lot, you know, most of them do. Uh, the salaries in the NBA are ridiculously high, you know, probably rightfully so. That's, that's, you know, what they make. 
Uh, the NBA is full of some of the best athletes in the world. You know, so you, you deserve to get paid if you play up there at all. Guy at the end of the bench can make eight figures, you know, depending on who he is. And it's guaranteed. Um, and most of these elite basketball guys with the one and done rule are like 18 months away from being multimillionaires. And so there's naturally going to be more people trying to influence the process uh, and, and kind of involved with something where that much money is at stake that quickly than there would be probably for a football player who, yeah, really good, has NFL potential, you know, stud player. Um, but the Delta for him being good or not good is so much wider. You know, your, your elite football players aren't always the guys that get drafted high. And and you can look at the draft every year and figure that out. But, uh, you know, in basketball, it's like much more of a sure thing. So there's more people involved, obviously. Uh, and, and look, a few years back when seven on seven was starting, uh, a lot of people said this is the next AAU, but for football, what I've noticed is parents in football and, and look, parents in basketball, Gigi Jackson's parents are heavily involved. It's not always the case, though, uh, with a player in basketball. There's AAU coach influence. There's other influences, that kind of thing. Uh, I, I've noticed in football, though, that the seven on seven coaches have not gotten the traction that, that maybe they thought they were. You know, so there's not a lot of middlemen. It, it's still a, most football players, their parents, you know, their high school coach will have a say, an assistant coach at the high school is probably heavily, sometimes heavily involved, helps you decide. Uh, but it, but it's not, there's not as many people involved in the process in football. And I think it's because of money. I mean, I think it's because, you know, any anytime there's that much more money at stake and it's coming that much sooner, there are going to be people, you know, heavily involved uh you know i think as far as recruiting to south carolina in football versus versus basketball uh it's an easier sell it's a better it's a better program right now you know final four notwithstanding you know you have a football program where you can point to a number you know two number one picks in the nfl draft you can point to playing in the sec which is hands down I mean, th there was an argument to be made. It was the best basketball conference this year. I, I don't buy it because these conference rankings were uh, poo. Uh, if you look at it, you know, the Big Ten, nine teams in the tournament supposed to be great. Where are those teams now? You know, the ACC is supposed to suck. They have half the final four and have three teams in the Elite Eight, you know. Uh, and, and people are like, well, that's just the tournament, JC. That doesn't mean blah, blah, blah. I'm like, no, but these metrics that they that the net rankings are based on all that are supposed to determine, you know, it's supposed to be a it's supposed to be predictive of what teams are good in the tournament. That was the whole point. Shoot. So anyway, that's that's my point there. I think I think and Ray Tanner even said the net rankings suck. He was like, I have problems with that formula. And I'm like, I do too. Now, the good news is Lamont Paris is really big on efficiency and stuff like that. So, Gamecock's net should improve. Uh, but I, I kind of think they'll tweak it because it, it's embarrassing, really, what happened this year to like a Wake Forest 23 wins in the ACC and you don't get in or to Texas AM. I mean, but anyway, back to my point football, the SEC is clearly the best conference year in and year out. I mean, there's no, there's not a lot of debate about that, right? The Big Ten's probably number two, but it's a distant second that kind of thing. So you can sell that. You, you know, the Gamecocks football program has a new $50 million facility. 
They've got the largest indoor facility uh, field-wise, or they did. I don't know. Other schools keep building them, so they may have passed the Gamecocks in the country. You know, you, you've got 80,000 in the stands. Most games. Now, last year, so there were some embarrassing crowds, and then that does impact recruiting. But, you know, you, you've got a lot going for you with football right now uh, than basketball, where – it's a program right now, as it stands today, that's very much in transition, coming off a decade of a coaching era. Um, you know, new coach, you know, you don't get a lot of people in, 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 in the, well, you get a lot of people in the arena, but the arena looks half empty on TV. And uh, folks, you can argue with me all you want, that matters. Because what do kids do? They watch basketball on TV. That's a gateway, you know, and you look and, it's a big game, and you know, there's a lot of people dressed up like empty garnet seats. Now, hopefully they change that and, and kind of make it look a little better. Uh, but in a big arena like that, what's going to happen? You're not going to get 17,000 a game, and, and if you get nine, it's still half empty. So, and nine's a good crowd, man. You know, it's not, I'm not, people think I'm getting on the fans with that. No, I'm not. I'm, uh, I wish the fans with lower bowl seats would show up, you know, because obviously they're not letting anybody else sit there. But, um, you know, that's stuff that needs to change. You know, with the the, the final four being the exception, the, it's not a program that's gone to March Madness all the lot, you know. It's just not the program that they have here in football, baseball, women's basketball right now. Uh, and so the sell there is a lot more difficult. You know, and it will be, and hopefully Lamont Paris can change that. Uh, I, you know, I, 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 I'm going to stick to this. I said, no matter who they hire, you know, if they hire somebody that can crack the in-state recruiting nut, hire that guy right now. <laughs> hire that guy right now, you know, because he would be the first in a while. You know, and and, and this is another one of those things. You know, people talk about. You know, George Felton and Eddie Fogler, you know, and, and look, Dave Odom got Brandon Wallace and he, and he got Carlos. Carlos Powell is kind of more of a find. But, you know, Sam Frederick and Devin Downey hightailed it to Georgia Tech and Cincinnati out of high school. And they came back as transfers. But, you know, you're not going to right now. I mean, it's a, it's a mystery. You got to solve it. But, you know, when Eddie Fogler was recruiting, you, you basically the guys that were running AAU and had influence were guys like George Glimpf, uh, the coach at Hermo, Whipple, I think it was, was it Whipple. I don't know. Probably not Whipple. I probably screwed that up. Anyway, the coach at Hermo, who coached Mackey, you know, guys like that. Um, you know, it, it, uh, it it's different now. And that's why Eddie Fogler left college basketball because <laughs> it wasn't just about going and having great relationships with high school coaches. Uh, there's so many more influencers and things like that. Uh, and in this state, it's been a struggle. And so anybody that can change that, I'm all for because you look at it and you see, you know, and Lamont Paris made a good point in his press conference. It's not just the Zions and the Ja Morants. I mean, the Ja Morants are the guys you need to get, obviously. You can't let a kid like that go to Murray. But uh, And Frank tried, and there's a, there's a long story with that one. But, you know, you you, you got to recruit 
the state and, and, and land guys um, because there's too many good players that could help you that have come out. And uh, unfortunately, you know, since McGuire, there hasn't been a single team that's made the NCAA tournament that hasn't had a big in-state presence. Now, when I say big, you know, and Thornwell and, and Dozier and then Mackey, uh, you know, were guys, but you also had, you know, a, a starter from Estonia, a starter from Africa and Chris Silva, starter from Canada and Dwayne Notice. Uh, C.D. Kita was a, an African guy from New Jersey. You had uh, Ra Felder, who's from, I think, Fort Mill or Rock Hill somewhere, York, someplace like that, but was Brooklyn, New York. Uh, you know, Justin Mackey was Justin Mackey, obviously. Uh, you know, and and look, even uh, Odom's uh, NCAA team was, was led by Carlos Powell, an in-state guy, and you had Brandon Wallace. And I bet Torrance Kenzie and uh, – I don't remember if Trey Kelly was on that team or not, but he's from D.C., Ronaldo Baltman, Tampa via North Carolina. You know, so, so you do need out-of-state players. I don't know if i wrong, but, you know, the proof's in the pudding. And the teams that have made the tournament have South Carolina kids. And uh, it's true during the Frank Martin era as well. So we'll see what happens. Alex says, even though college football is uniquely American, it's an entire world of cultures, tradition, and styles of play. And the, the, the mailbag question is, what if college football was an international sport? My question is, what if college football was as popular around the world as it was in the U.S.? What would other countries' fight songs, uniforms, and tailgating food be like? Well, Scotland, obviously they'd be out there in kilts playing the bagpipes and bowling a haggis before the game. I think that'd be kind of interesting. I remember that they had the World League and they had the Scottish Claymores. That was my favorite team. But Scotland's probably my favorite non-American country. I'm a big Braveheart fan. You know, Germany, what would they be doing? I mean, I don't know. I, uh, you know, Asia and, and China, you know, or, or what style What style would the, the Asian, Asian countries play? Because uh, you, you wouldn't have a lot of size. You know, outside of, you know, you'd probably recruit some sumo wrestlers uh, in Japan. Uh, but would their style be, would they run a bunch of run and shoot, you know? Uh, and look, man, the great thing about football is this. If you look at all the continents across the country, I mean, across the world, there, there's a spot for everybody. I mean, you know, when we talk about Asians and, and Pacific Islanders, I mean, you guys, American Samoa, and Hawaii and, and, and the Pacific Islands, football is massively popular. Uh, I went to something called, in Salt Lake City, Utah, called an all-poly camp back way, 09, so I guess we're going about 13 years ago, and it, it's basically for Polynesian kids, you know, kids from the islands or whatever. You would not believe the passion that these people have for the sport of football. You just would not believe it. And you look at the NFL, there's a lot of guys like that, and they love it. I love football. Um, so, so, so in East Asia and Southeast Asia, would there be more of a, you know, a, a quick spread style? I mean, you know, what would that be? What would the Rus? I hate to even talk about the Russians right now, but I think they'd be pretty damn good at football. To be honest, uh, that, 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 and I'm not talking about any kind of current events more so than, you know, Russian culture and uh, just sort of that that kind of end of it. Eastern European culture in general, I think. Will be very, very good. Don't know about the French, 
skip over those guys. Uh, <laughs> but anyway, yeah, I mean, it, it's very interesting. And, uh, but I, you know, and in colleges and stuff like that, I mean, you know, people would get behind their school. Uh, I don't know. I don't know that we'll ever live to see it. You know, I, I think that, you know, outside of our country, there's probably, and look, the NFL is playing games in Europe and they're playing games in Mexico and places like that. But I don't expect there to be a big groundswell of support for this sport um, across the world anytime soon. Maybe so, maybe not, but uh, it, it is very uniquely American. It's a great question, Alex. Really appreciate that. And with that, we're over for today. Uh, inside the Gamecocks podcast. Be sure to check out thebigspur.com for all your latest scoop. Got a great VIP room. We'd love to have you as a member uh, so you can read the VIP room, a VIP member there. Uh, Also, you know, if not, lots of free content there too that you can go read. It's fascinating read each and every day, especially on the message board. And certainly appreciate you guys tuning in to the Inside the Gamecocks podcast. I'm JC Sherbert. Thanks for listening. And we'll holla at you soon.